The internet changed everything for sales and marketing. Artificial intelligence is going to change everything again. Welcome to AI for Sales, a show that looks at how artificial intelligence is changing sales. Join noted author, speaker, and AI for Sales expert Chad Burmeister as he interviews cutting-edge founders, CEOs, CROs, CMOs, other business executives, and AI experts on the weekly AI for Sales podcast. Join the AI for Sales revolution. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, CEO of ScaleX.ai and the AI for Sales expert on C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. And today I've got a really cool guy that a lot of times we talk to founders, CEOs that are somewhat involved in data science and AI. And it's a rare treat that we get to talk to someone who's deep into artificial intelligence. So Joe Miller is the chief data officer of Vivin. He's been there for a couple of years through Seed Round and the Rays. And before that, spent some time in the Ray Dalio um, hedge fund, Bridgewater. He's worked with IBM Watson. He's got a lot of experience. So we're going to dig in and get to know, uh, get to know Joe first, and then we're going to dive into some of the AI conversation. So Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, this is this is awesome. So before we kind of jump into the today's day and age of what's going on, I like our, our listeners to understand kind of your background. Um, tell us a little bit about Vivin. You know, what is your company doing now? And then we'll go back to the, you know, how it all started. Sure. So um, so the company is it's a it's an enterprise software company that is focused in this niche called pre-sales, right? So Matt and John are two co-founders. Um, they have like decades between them um, as sales engineers at various companies, Pandora, Quora, other places. And um, and basically, what their their insight was was to see that this space had unique data to the sales pipeline, um, but it connected sales and product and the field and all of these things, and and it was sort of being neglected. And so um, they started out trying to build out this, uh, a place for that to live and to prove that the data that was being collected there was, um, wasn't being captured for all its value. Um, I came in, uh, I think about a year, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, maybe a little more than that, um, after they started building this, this uh, enterprise software out. And basically to come in and say, hey, hey, we have all of this unique data. What can we infer from it? What can we, what kind of insights can we drive? How do we synthesize all of this data? Um, how do we build an AI platform on top of it to make recommendations and, and, um, and, and deliver, like capture all the value that was actually in that unique set? Um, so we've been building, I've been building there now, you know, a couple of years, like you said. And the types of things that we're able to do, I think, are um, not only exciting for Vivin and, and this, the, the, the field that we're in, but um, in technology in general, I, I truly think that this, the type of recommendations we can make and the type of data we gather will, are, are having impacts about how companies evolve their technology. And when you start to think about that horizontally and broadly, um, it just becomes an enormously impactful place to work. Yeah. Well, I think of places like WebEx where I worked and Ring Central, and you know, the seller is the pre-sales person and the yeah. delivery person and the collections person. And 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 I'm being facetious a little bit, but before that in enterprise software, that role is obviously bifurcated. You've got a rep and then a, a, a inside rep that supports the rep and a SE. And so a, a lot of times there's that disconnect between what the SE knows while 
that person is either on a Zoom or on site and discovery. I have to imagine that turning on the lights in that dark black hole and serving up some of that information keeps the salesperson more in the loop also, right? Helps with forecasting and understanding. And there's so much data that's hidden there. Yeah, I think that as companies, you know, in general, uh, we, we always say it's, you know, that every company now or will be a technology company, right? Um, so this is the narrative that software is eating the world and all of this stuff. Um, but what's interesting is as companies, as technology companies specifically, as they scale, a lot of the divisions end up being siloed, right? Everybody becomes more specialized. That's the kind of beauty and the fun part of working at a startup is that, like you said, uh, you know, a lot of people wear a lot of hats all at the same time. So it's exciting because everybody is also sharing the same goals and missions when when you're that that young uh, that young organism, if you will. But as you scale, people start to specialize, and then product becomes they have their own OKRs, their own metrics that they start to follow. They have their own goals that they're that they're out uh, to achieve, and then the field is trying to do ends up trying to do their own goals and uh, and, and incentive structures. And the thing that is weird is that somewhere along the line, the scale. Uh, these silos start to start losing the like overarching goal of the mission statement of the company, right? And so the pre-sale space is really about connecting those things back to that original goal and bringing everybody into a common view of how the world is and what's happening in the field and how should we evolve our technology to meet our customer needs, not just now, but in the future. Just being, getting everybody back on the same page uh, just from a data-driven perspective is is enormously profitable. You get to capture all that value that's being lost from the lack of synergy between say product and, and the field, you know? Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So let's go back a little. I like to kind of ask the question, you know, your six, seven, eight, ten. 10, some of your first memories when you're younger, you know, <laughs> what was your passion like then? To, I like to connect the dots between, you know, what you're doing now and what you liked then. Yeah. So, um, so I've always wanted to be a scientist. That was first and foremost, but you know, when I was a, when I was a child, the scientists, you know, I'm 38. So when I was growing up, the uh, scientist I wanted to be was like the Indiana Jones archeologist. Right. <laughs> so that was, uh, I think a lot of people my age, that was like the, the thing. Right. Um, and then, you know, like uh, Doc Watson and uh, uh, you know, uh, back to the future and things like this, like th this kind of stuff was, I mean, that was, that was where my head was always at when I was a kid was, you know, the science and, and archeology span and discovery and adventure and that kind of stuff. Um, I also like sports and, and whatnot, but um, as I grew up, I just realized more and more that science was always going to be that thing that I, that, you know, made me want to get up in the morning. It just got more focused. I realized I didn't want to spend, you know, my life digging up dinosaur bones as much as I thought I did when I was little. Instead, I'd like to, you know, be somewhere where there's climate control. So. <laughs> yeah, got it. Well, my son's in, uh, he's going into electrical engineering at a school in Colorado, and he's now thinking of computer uh, engineering. And I'm, so I'm, I'm proud of him. And, uh, you, yeah. you know, I, I think that, it's uh, it's definitely a field that's that's here to stay, and and you know he's perfect for it. Um, tell me about where AI is used at your company. So we've talked about the need for it, but how, can you share how specifically AI gets used at at Vivin and with your customers? Yeah, absolutely. So so we have a couple um, pillars I kind of think about in in the AI um, unit, and one of them is. Uh, sort of how do you make recommendations about um, what to do next? What's the best value for a level of effort, right? Um, and so what's interesting about the pre-sales space and how we've organized that world and how we represent what's called knowledge rep 
representation, right? How do we represent that knowledge so that we can make inference about what to do next? Um, you know, we start to make recommendations around like, you know, um, there are deals in the past that have had this sort of concern and maybe it's price or maybe it's timing or uh, political alignment or you don't have a good champion or something like this, right? Um, these are things that are natural to the process of the deal that the sales engineers uniquely have that insight into, right? Oh, like we don't have somebody that is a champion on our side here that is touting the technology or the advantages that we can bring um, from our product or something like this, right? And so what we're able to do with uh, some of our AI is go through those that comment, a lot of the natural language that's left in notes or has looked, in, looked at in terms of um, like the model that we use to predict how that how well that deal is going and then start to look back and say okay deals that look like this deal that you're currently in did better if you did xyz versus if you did abc right so you start to look back and sometimes i like to characterize this as saying vivin is sort of the best sales engineer in your company right and it has the advantage of uh, not walking out the door for a better gig right and so uh but that's basically what it is it's how do you capture that historical knowledge that your best sales engineer does have, right? That person has been through every deal. They understand like, oh, you know, when we get pinched on price, this is how we navigate this. Or if we don't have a great champion, this is, these are the angles that we use to get one, right? Um, if timing's an issue, these are the, the levers that we can pull to, to, um, to make the deal uh, survive that long to, to make it work. All of that sort of knowledge is in the data. Um, and then you can make inferences about how it's going and all of this stuff and make these recommendations. So we sort of have one pillar is, is a recommendation of decision-making, right? So uh, managerial decision-making, deal decision-making, sales engineer decision-making. So that's one side of it. The other side is sort of like a, a pure efficiency play. It's uh, everybody, especially, you know, like the markets that they are now, um, everybody is trying to figure out how do you get more with less people? Right? There's a lot of information out there. There's an enormous amount of information, more information that humans can consume on a daily basis. So how do you synthesize all of that information so that you can give the pertinent pieces to uh, the decision makers and they can make quicker decisions? So some of that might be, you know, we have this thing called uh, the deal gaps. It's a difference between, you know, what the customer wants and what your current product offers, right? It's effectively what it is, right? But there's a lot of nuances in there. And so you can imagine that if you have customer uh, A, B, and C, and you know customer A wants thing one as their top priority, customer B wants thing two, et cetera, but everybody wants thing four as their second priority. Synthesizing that across would take manually an enormous amount of time. It's just a very inefficient process to have to get, a, get your hands around all of that. And so that's another space where if you can parse the natural language and you can build a model that can understand like, yes, this is a thing that uh, pops to the top of like, hey, everybody wants this set, this thing, a second thing, that should be your first priority. That's a big efficiency gain. And where are you capturing the data, the raw data? Um, I think of, a, of an SE, you know, they're either on the phone, probably majority of the time these days, it used to be um, in person. And, you know, how do you take what's in that meeting for 60 minutes and put it into the model? Or does it come from different places than that? Um, it comes from different places, but, um, and like literally all kinds of places, like we can get it from, you know, our connections with Salesforce or through other, you know, Jira or other apps and things like that. So we have a lot of interfaces. We've spent a lot of time at Vivid making sure that our product um, plays well with everybody, right? Because we are trying to connect all of these silos, if you will. And so we want everybody to be able to talk into this, into the central brain, if you will. 
so it comes from a lot of places, um, but you're looking at things like, you know, notes and, um, you know, people filling out data in, in the Vivid platform. Um, and then we make a lot of inferential data. One of the big aspects and principles that we have on the data science team is that we don't want to burden the user with a bunch of data input, right? That's one, it's buggy and that's not a great way of building systems uh, because people get fatigued on that kind of stuff and they get lazy and now you have bad data. Uh, but also because it's a pain, right? Nobody wants to do that. I'm not, if it, I don't want to, I don't want the solution to be worse than the problem, right? So, um, so we do a lot of, we spend a lot of time representing the system in, in, you know, the way we think a deal can be constructed. And that's goes back to that knowledge representation, which allows us to make inferences about, you know, pieces of data that instead of having to ask you, I can infer it from other behavior you have. So for example, uh, we do, we track things like momentum, right? is like, how is this deal moving along? Well, we can look at that based on, you know, how active are the deals? It could be calendar events, or it could be phone calls that you've made, or it could be emails that were exchanged. But I can look at that and say like, are people working on this thing or not, right? And use that, um, and then we apply some, uh, some of our logic and inference about that. And we use that to go into our models of, is this deal healthy? Um, should it be, is there something more you could do to make it better? Or should, you know, sometimes, should you not be working on this deal? Yeah, got it. I met with the CEO of a company uh, on this podcast recently um, called Track 365, T-R-A-Q 365. And they're actually listening to the to the phone conversation and then turning it into, it's not like a chorus or a gong that just converts it into a, a note, but yeah. actually puts some intelligence around that conversation. So that could be one of the feeds that enters your discovery technology right that that gets yeah, reported on. yeah yeah so we do think we can do things like um you know sentiment analysis and entity extraction and pairing and things like this um you know uh, one of our core premises because we are we are having to work with you know a lot of limited data there's so this the amount of space that a deal could exist in if you will is enormous right so you have this issue of saying like, okay, this deal doesn't look like every deal that you've ever had, but it looks like some deals. How do you figure out which deals it look like? So you can say, you know, if there was lessons to be learned from those previous deals that we can apply them to this current deal. And so things like, you know, uh, sentiment is some features that we use, uh, entity extraction that we can then use to say, oh, this thing looks like this other deal. Um, so now we can put a link between the two and share knowledge across um, across time, if you will. Um, so that kind of stuff is absolutely on the type of thing we do. We do a lot of like natural language processing is the, the technical term for it. I I've gone to a few of the AI for sales show or not for sales, just AI in general shows over the last two, three years. And one in New Jersey, the Amazon voice conference was interesting. Um, in San Francisco and New York, there was the AI conference. And this one speaker, I'm going to blank on who he is, but he's got the data that shows the revenue per head in the world and certainly in the country is going up and the, the head count is, is not going up at the same pace. Right. And so from a fundamental, you know, ability for an individual salesperson to drive more revenue, uh, have you seen any trend lines where you say, Hey, that rep who used to do 500,000 can now do 750. Or when you start to put on the Ironman suit, you know, what does that enable you to do? And then what should reps be thinking about as salespeople to be ready for the Ironman suit, right? What skills do they need to have that they may not have today? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the first is yes, um, we actively try to um, measure these types of things. So it's one, it's good for our own business just to know like is 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 our product delivering the value we expect it to, et cetera. Um, that goes back to that pillar of like efficiency AI that we do. So, you know, a lot of clustering things that would take people, you know, weeks at a time, literally. Um, we have clients that were spending, you know, three men, three man, three men would be spending a week a month characterizing all of this stuff. And now they can do that, you know, we can we cut that down to a day or something like that. It's like a dramatic change and just being able to use clustering analysis and things like this to do that operation for them. Um, that obviously makes everybody a lot more productive because I gave you back, you know, three man weeks, right? So um, that kind of thing is valuable. The second thing is what do you need? The second question you ask is what do, what should people do to prepare to, uh, if I understand your question correctly, to prepare to use that sort of, uh, those sort of tools to their optimum. Yeah, that right? yeah, that's right. So, so I have a, a little bit of a different opinion about this. I don't think they should have to do anything. Um, I think that people, the value of AI is not that everybody has to become a, you know, a, a, a computer scientist. I don't think everybody should have to be an engineer. There's a lot of talents and skills in the sales engineering space, but also just the account management and the product management that it, not everybody should have to understand how um, a combustion engine works to drive a car, right? So I, in some sense, I think if you demand too much of the user, you're probably not doing the job correctly. Um, the tools should be intuitive. It should be obvious. Um, we spend a lot of time and like, you know, to some criticism, in fact, that, um, but we just believe deeply that the users, it should be intuitive and understandable. And, um, and all of our predictions should be explainable. So we spend a lot of time in explainable AI. Um, and part of that reason is because we know that a prediction, even that recommendation is not enough to convince uh, people to make behavioral change. And so um, we build, you know, our own natural language generation that synthesizes the results of all of our predictions so that people, in a way that people can use as an argument effectively, right? So I have to go convince you to change your behavior. You know, uh, you could be a product manager, you could be uh, an account exec, somebody like this. And I say, I, I don't think we should work on this deal or I think we should work on this deal before that deal or whatever the negotiation is, right? Whatever the, the decision is. We want to arm everybody with the data, the logic, and the synthesis of the data historically. So you can come and say, "Look, deals that have this characteristic or this shape and size, we're just we just never win. We never beat this space. If we wanted to beat this space, we'd have to do these things. These things cost this amount of time, right? It costs this amount of money. Instead, if we took that amount of time and money and applied it to this other thing, it'd be worth this amount of money." That's a coherent argument that is really difficult to argue, right? Yeah. That's a, and it's also just one that opens up the discussion at the top level again it goes back to like that break down the silos break down the in, the internal incentive structures get back to the company incentive structures that conversation and that argument is the one that people should be having that is at the company level right so it's the highest level goal of the of the mission statement right and that is the kind of thing that we want to be able to provide so we spend a lot of time and a lot of money and manpower on making sure that our uh, that our natural language generation engine can synthesize the arguments and the predictions in a way that anybody can understand it without having to understand yeah. all, you know, the, an eigenvector, right? They don't need to know about that. They, they just get the answer, but it's in a way that is defensible and explainable. Yeah. The way the, the phrase that comes to mind, and I don't know which football team this is, maybe if you're into football, you'll know, but do your job, I think is, yeah. the, is kind of the phrase. That yeah. As Bill Belichick, right? Okay. I thought it Patriot. might be the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 
I'm from Colorado, so I don't know if we're friendly with the with that. Team, but, uh, I have high respect for them anyway. Um, that's awesome. So, thinking about all of your experience, this is really exciting conversation because it's. I mean, it's just where things are going. 21 days of effort collapsed into a day. If I look at, you know, a lot of our technology automates certain tasks and maybe it saves you, you know, 20% of your day or so. It, like it's, it's dramatic, but there's yeah. certain technologies that say, hey, let's go look at a million data points and figure out which 50 people in that million can get me a meeting with company A, B, or C. And that would take a BDR a million clicks to go do. Yep. And those are the exciting things are where can I point AI to make m- more rapid decisions that have just, th- this isn't like a 5% increase in GDP. Like I remember hearing Bill Clinton at a, at a Dreamforce conference speak once. And he goes, you know, when I was president, we raised it by 5% and then we had the best ec- economic times ever. Yeah. And I'm looking at this, you know, this is bigger than the internet you're talking more than 5% GDP growth when you deploy this stuff properly. Would you agree that AI is bigger than the internet? um, Well, I think that the, I think AI is, has an anchoring to the internet. So I think it's sort of like an irreducible complexity. Like the value is from the synergy of the data availability, which is what is shaking the world, right? Is that things that became, that were relegated to, you know, uh, libraries and the halls of hedge funds and things like this are now freely available on the internet. And so anybody can get that access. Now, here's the problem, right? Is that computers do two things that are at least two things that are better than humans. One is that they can consume an enormous amount of information much faster than we can. So that's why going to a library is a much slower process than having the internet, right? The second thing, though, is um, that we are not, as human beings, very good at, um, to borrow a term, synthesizing through time, right? So we are not particularly good at remembering the past as accurate as it was. And so, and there's a lot of good reasons, biological and evolutionary reasons why we do that, but it's the fact that that happens, right? And so as a result, if you have an enormous amount of data, right, readily available to us via the internet now, and then you have AI to crunch that data and synthesize it, you get a much, you have the potential anyways, if you do it correctly, to have a much more objective, accurate representation and synthesis of how things have moved through all of time. Um, both because as a human, you can't, you just simply can't read it all. And then two, even if you could, by the time you finish the last book, you've forgotten all of the value of the first book, right? Or you have some manipulated memory of it. And so it's the same exact thing in a firm, right? It's, that's why we say like Vivian, I want it to be, I want that AI to become the best sales engineering, sales engineer in your, in your business, because that person, that, that AI will remember accurately all of the data that has all ever happened in your firm. And synthesize it correctly for you, right? Mm-hmm. Objectively for you. And I think that, you know, going not to bring it up to just a, a general form of, you know, is AI going to be bigger than the internet? I think the internet is sort of all it's it's that library, right? And AI is the reasoning we apply to that library. And so yes, I do think in as as in terms of GDP, yes, it will drive much higher than even the initial booms of, of the internet. But I do think that we are we are still a ways away from that, I think. Um, I know a lot of people are very hyped up on on AI. Um, I think that things like neural networks and you know um, stochastic learning systems like this um, are not really the way that human beings reason about the world. Um, in fact, we're quite bad at thinking in probabilistic terms. But um, 
I think once we start getting into spaces of causality and causal inference and we start to um, spend more time in knowledge representation and uh, semantic understanding and, and knowledge graphs, people will start, we will really start to see the power of what the computers can do better than us. Synthesize all of that data, uh, both just in terms of volume, but then accurately through time. My family, my son's home for the summer and uh, from college, and we're playing this game. And I'm, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but I'll give you the, the concept. The concept is you, you can buy the, you get, you either pick three chips, colors, right? Red, yellow, green, blue, whatever, brown. And then you can buy these cards. Well, when you play the first game, it's very basic. And so my son is an engineering thinker. It's all about the math. So if I can reserve a card, then I'm losing two chips. So it's plus minus and it's just card counting. Well, then there's expansion packs and it changes everything, right? You put on two other rows of cards where you can reserve this card. You can take away, there's all kinds of complexities. And as at my level in life, as a 48 year old in Colorado, I can feel the ability for my processor not it's not as fast as the 19 year old engineering student processor. Yep. And what if everyone had the ability to play that game to where they knew exactly what the right next move on the board was. Right. And now you apply that to companies, countries, and, you know, running everything um, that it, it, it definitely things are going to be changing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're getting to be a lot smarter. Yeah. And then also, you know, the problems get harder too, right? It's like, that's, I mean, all of these things, like every time, like just like this game example you have is that you add a new layer and the complexity increases because the complexity goes as the number of connections between all the objects and that scales much faster than the number of objects. And so you end up with, um, you end up with a need to synthesize data, right? And I think that right now in this, in, in the just general markets of any, any business, if you're an AI, if you're a leader in AI, or if you're in this machine learning space, Understanding that you will you will always have a profitable product uh, synthesizing information because there's more and more information every single day, much, much, much more than any human can th- keep up with. And in fact, we're starting to get to spaces where most systems can't keep up with it. And so just being able to reason about information, um, have systems that can do that uh, algorithmically, and then... The key point in my belief anyways, is not to just give you the answer, but then give you the reasons for the answer so that you can see how, you know, how it's working. Can I understand something? Am I improving my own understanding about the world using this tool to synthesize all this information? I think that's the key value prop of, you know, probably the next at least 20, maybe ever, right? But at least the next 20 years, I think it'd be a very big emphasis. Well, so last question, and then we're going to, and then we'll cut the, cut the commercial or as they say. What's the um, what's the biggest obstacle to salespeople actually trusting the AI? Yeah, so I think it's primarily that explainability, um, which is why we invested so much of that of that upfront. Um, you know, that was a strategic decision that we made at Vivint was that we recognize that the recommendation is not going to be enough because then you require you're asking for an enormous amount of trust from from the user. And so there's kind of two answers to this. One is like, what is the thing that holds, that's going to hold people back from adopting this? It's themselves. Uh, And the second reason, uh, the second thing is uh, because people won't meet them where they're at. And so one is like, they will, they will think that they know better than the, than all of the data in the machine and the predictions, right? 
which they probably do. And they, in a lot of ways that like that's been the experience of AI, which is, uh, and then the question is like, will companies recognize that and say, okay, if humans are gonna behave this way, I need to meet them where they're at. Let me invest into explainability. So that way it's not really a matter of trusting me anymore. It's just a matter of agreeing with my premises. Are they clear and articulate? Do I have a valid argument? If so, you have to accept my conclusion. It's not right? a black box. You're, you're exposing the algorithm under the black box to, yeah, so exactly. that I trust it. Yep. Yeah, right. And, and then not only that, we're, we're, you know, we expose the whole argument. Like it's not just, it's not just the algorithm, if you will. Like you could say, the argument, the algorithm is, you know, here are the features that are involved in it or whatever. This is how we weighed it and whatever. It's, it's different than that. It's more of like, I'm synthesizing it for you and saying, these are literally the arguments. And I can go back and point to these other deals so that you can say, did we get it right? Because a lot of times it, you know, not it, a lot of times you get, uh, you can make predictions. You can even say, what is the, what are the most important features? People think that that's what we mean by explainability is using like Shapley or something like these algorithms that give feature weight importance. This is different than what I'm saying. I'm saying we're going all the way to the space of making a human argument to another person and then referencing previous cases to say, these deals look like these deals. This is what happened in these deals accurately. Did we get it right? Is that a reasonable argument to you? And if so, that's sort of the way that you and I would discuss, right? So it's not really AI as much as it is like trying to be true intelligence, right? Can two people talk to each other? That's what I think the computer should be able to do to you. That's awesome. Wow. Well, we've been talking with Joe Miller, Chief Data Officer at Viven, and a lot of experience with IBM Watson, Ray Dalio's hedge fund. What an awesome conversation. Um, stay, it looks like it's a cloudy there in San Diego today, maybe. So yeah. stay dry. Yeah. <laughs> Great talking with you today, Joe. Thanks for sharing with our audience. I really, really appreciate the, the connection. And uh, I, I wish everyone the best. And we'll catch you on the next AI for Sale show. Thank you, Joe. Yep. Thanks for having me. See you guys. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the AI for Sales podcast with Chad Burmeister. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate the ever-changing landscape of sales to help you 5x, 10x, or even 100x your sales motion sales velocity through artificial intelligence. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit www.scalex.ai. Until next time.